it's Loom Group's Andrea Lay, Backview's Melissa Burdick, the wizard of Woodland Hills Shree, and I'm PVSB from Flywheel, a division of Omnicom, and I'm coming to you today from the Catskills. Be playing Heckinger's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 6th, and it's time for the Fresh Four, for curated news stories from the past week. We find them dependably intriguing. We hope you do too. We're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence news, retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Over to you, Shree. In case you're wondering what this background is, I'm at, I'm at my father-in-law's house all the way in Chennai, India for the next couple of weeks. So what's the message of the week? Kroger Precision Marketing strikes a partnership with none other than Yahoo DSP. So Yahoo DSP advertisers now have access to KPM's audiences for both reach and measurement. Partnership marks KPM's second DSP partnership since last fall and ushers in a new focus on commerce media for Yahoo advertising in particular. Collaborations like this one will define the next phase of growth in retail media as retailers recognize the limitations of monetization on their own digital properties and seek incremental growth by expanding offsite. This is said by Sara Marzano, principal analyst at eMarketer. For advertisers, the delayed but still impending deprecation of third-party cookies, which is now on its way, continues to underpin every decision regarding digital advertising dollars. So solutions that safeguard their investments against that hold increasing appeal. Over to you, Andrea. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. Walmart adds a new grocery line to its private brand's portfolio. Walmart has announced a new private label grocery brand called Better Goods. The line includes 300 items spanning categories such as frozen, dairy, snacks, beverages, pasta, soups, coffee, and chocolate. With most items priced under $5, Better Goods focuses on three key components, culinary experiences, plant-based, and made without. The retailer said Better Goods marks not only its largest private food brand launch in two decades, but also its fastest grocery brand brought to market. Over to you, Melissa. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, so, Savemark companies roll out in-store retail media networks. It's not enough that we have online. Now we're moving to in-store retail media networks. The Savemark companies plans to roll out in-store connect, an in-store retail media network powered by Quad Graphics Inc. To start, 16 of the grocery company stores will have digital screens, kiosks, end caps, shelf screens, and vertical banners throughout, allowing CPG partners to showcase promotions, product information, and recommendations to shoppers. The program will eventually roll out to all the Savemark companies, approximately 200 stores. This is Savemark's latest retail media effort, coming almost a year after a launch of its own retail media network. Over to you, Peter. Thanks, Melissa. Rite Aid expands Uber Eats' partnership for alcohol delivery in eight states. Nearly 1,000 Rite Aid stores will now offer alcohol delivery via retailers' expanded partnership with Uber Eats. Customers of legal drinking aid can get delivery from select stores in California, Idaho, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington. Quote, our collaboration and trusted partnership with Uber Eats underscores our commitment to meet the evolving needs of our customers and providing a seamless digital shopping experience complements their busy lives, unquote, said Jeannie Walden, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Rite Aid, the U.S.'s third largest pharmacy retailer. That's it for the Fresh Four. Now on to the CPG Guys episode that you've downloaded.
Hello and welcome to the CPG Guys podcast. I'm PVSB, and when I'm not co-hosting this podcast, along with my partner, Shree and Brian, I serve as Partnership Acceleration Lead at Flywheel Digital, the leading managed services business that helps brands grow their e-commerce. Uh, we recorded today's episode high atop the Mandalay Bay Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, Nevada, while we were attending the Grocery Shop Conference, where CPG Retail Omnichannel professionals came together to learn about the latest in consumer engagement. Uh, joining me for this episode, which we previously recorded, was Brian Gildenberg, the founder and CEO of Confluence or Commerce, the managing director of North America Retail Cities, and of course, host of both the Gildenberg Omni Comment LinkedIn video series and the CPG Guys Fast Forward podcast. Uh, before we get you to the actual episode that was recorded, I want to remind you, of course, subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. And if you use Apple or Spotify, please leave us a rating. It helps feed the algorithm and makes our podcast more findable. Of course, we want to express how honored we are to be rated the number one CPG podcast for over two years running, according to Feedspot, the leading podcast ranking authority. And we're also, of course, very proud to have our sister casts. In the top 30, we're referring to, of course, CPG Scoop, CPG Guys Fast Forward with Brian, and the FMCG guys across the pond. We're happy to, of course, be formal sponsors of Next Up, formerly known as Network of Executive Women, whose mission it is to advance all women in business and promote the cause of gender equality in the workplace. To learn more about Next Up, simply click on the hyperlink in the digital liner notes of this episode, where you'll also find links to our podcast site, The Sister podcast sites, uh, and of course, links to Shree's daughters, Rhea and Lara, who are both uh, on journeys of professional pursuit around um, entertainment and performance. Rhea is, of course, the April Spotify Asia Pacific uh, Artist of the Month, and Lara is pursuing the Dream Academy K-pop competition taking place right now. So make sure to check those all out. All right, without any further ado, I'm going to take us to the conversation we had with Chris Jensen, the Chief Revenue Officer at Ibotta. We partnered with Ibotta in this episode. They held a press conference making some announcements during uh, their time at Grocery Shop. We thought it would be great to turn that into an episode, uh, and please enjoy the conversation with Chris. Uh, it's great to be here in Las Vegas. I got in last night and it was fun just trying to get back into the swing of things. It's crazy. This is like reunion week. I don't know about for yeah. you, but certainly for Brian and yeah. me, it's pretty hard to walk to the show floor without getting hit up by about 30 people wanting to do a selfie or something like that. <laughs> so it's high grade problems, right? Why don't we get to why we're here today? The pandemic has had a profound effect on the uh, the supply chain for manufacturers and retailers, which in turn affected how consumer promotions occurred, right? You don't have inventory. It's hard to do a promotion. Why would you promote something that you can't even produce enough of? So there was a, there was a tremendous drop-off. Baselines had to be massively reset. I think the hardest job of any consumer packaged goods sales leader is trying to figure out how to budget for next year. And everyone's like, well, do I use a two-year step function? What do I do? It's, it's kind of crazy. So in many cases, there are all new learnings that have to be established around how to do promotion, right? Um, and help guide shopper marketers in exactly how to do their job. It's just, it's just kind of crazy. It also accelerated the adoption of all sorts of very intriguing 
digital engagement tools. You know, remember the QR code that was invented for the automotive industry in Japan? And then when the iPhone came out everybody in 2007, 2008, everyone thought, oh, QR codes are going to work. And then they never did. Suddenly the pandemic, QR codes are everywhere. Yeah, that, was fairly, that was a solution in search of a problem until 2020. So, it, it, But it finally found that, that yeah. solution, right? So... Um, so, uh, but it also spurred other things like mobile loyalty apps, right? Now we're using this phone. It's a ubiquitous extension of our existence. We carry it everywhere. We use it to inform us, to entertain us, to connect us. Um, and the, the reality is, is that the impact that had is it has blurred the lines of what is, what is omnichannel. It's not just a shop in a store or a shop online. There are all sorts of permutations that are going on between that. I, I browse on my device. Maybe I order some of it. I, I, I saw some stats that said one major retailer that 35% of their curbside transactions also involve someone walking into the store. Doing it. So there's this need to be wherever the consumer is and be relevant. Um, and that is, that is really thanks to this ability to deliver meaningful, digitally driven engagement platform. So all of this is to say that marketers right now have these tools, but they need a tremendous amount of guidance on how to interpret shopper behavior uh, to develop new marketing skills that build uh, customer lifetime value and grow brands through truly incremental sales. But more importantly, to be able to do that at scale, because a lot of the traditional mechanisms for connecting with consumers, linear television, print media, we know that they've been very challenged in, in these days and advertisers are looking for ways not only to connect with consumers, but to actually measure the performance of that. Performance marketing is, is the key. So we are very fortunate to, to be joined today by Chris Jensen, the Chief Revenue Officer at Ibotta. And we're going to talk to him about their vision of where consumer engagement through promotions is going and how Ibotta is building meaningful techniques and platforms to be able to execute this, as I mentioned, at scale mm-hmm. and to measure the performance marketing associated with that. So um, why don't we get to the questions? Chris, That's welcome, great. by the way. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, welcome. welcome to the show. We're so glad to have you here. And look at this beautiful vista overlooking can't Las Vegas. It. You yeah, can't beat it. The sun, For those of you listening to this on audio, you'll really enjoy that. So. But there will be still <laughs> photography and some video too, but anyhow. So... Um, Let's start off because my background is is primarily in in big data sets. Ibotta has access to an enormous amount of not just purchase data, but item level purchase data that is really behavior at a shopper level. So it's purchasing and it's associated with individual shoppers. That to me screams 1P data, right? That That is the holy grail. And it's not just the items that people have purchased. It really encompasses the who, what, uh, when, and where. If you think about what comes in a transaction log or is found on a, on a receipt, there's a whole lot of information about that transaction, where they bought it, when they bought it, what they bought it with, what price they paid for it. That's really powerful information. So um, can you share with us more about your robust data asset that underpins your platform and how it provides you with the unique ability to understand at scale omni-channel purchasing behavior. Yeah, so we've got uh, a mountain of data collected over the course of, we've been in business for about 12 years. So over the course of the last 12 years, at this point we're processing somewhere in the ballpark of 
I don't know, four billion uh, item level purchases down to the SKU level within the basket on an annual basis. So pretty robust data. Uh, when we started, we started with optical character recognition technology. It's something that was pretty commonplace at the time. We, built, we developed a pretty robust OCR technology that ultimately uh, acted in real time. It looked for duplications. It looked for receipts that were a little fishy so it could kick it out for a human to review. But we realized that optical technologies can really only get so so clean, so good. It's, it's heavily dependent upon... How, what the input is, right? right, right. I, I think about, I walked into a store once, uh, brand had two different flavors yes. and two SKUs, single serve and multi-pack. Yes. And I bought all four of them, looked at the register receipt, and they all listed the exact same right. name. Right. How, right. how do you, well, if yeah. the UBC isn't it's there, how do you know? It's the state integrity of the retail side. And then the other issue 10 years ago is that just cameras weren't as good, That's, right? Yeah. That was the That's other exactly issue, right. having been having been around the space as well. Yeah. So, yeah. OCR just the quality of the quality of the quality of the of a check on yeah. an airplane and thought, how else could we use that technology? Yeah. But over the course of the last several years, we've developed direct integrations with hundreds of retailers, and now the vast majority of our data is on digital rails. And so we kind of solve some of the problems that we've described. We help mitigate fraud. Uh, We also see the majority of our data is unincentivized. It's through organic purchases, so we can see both uh, incentivized, unincentivized purchases. We can track consumers over long periods of time, so we see longitudinal data. Across multiple retailers. Across multiple retailers, across, you know, grocery, uh, big box, you know, uh, convenience, basically, even club. Uh, so therefore, I think we've got you know a pretty robust data set that's valuable to Ibotta in terms of helping uh, create a great consumer experience, but also to our brands uh, in terms of deriving insights that they could take action on, not just on Ibotta with our own properties, but also with their broader media mm-hmm. as well. So um, we do have a robust uh, analytics team. We've got on our client analytics team, we probably have 30 people who work uh, to help our uh, Ibotta and our brands better understand the performance of campaigns, but also how to think about using that data and turning it into action. What mm-hmm. kinds of things, what observations do we have about share shift and things like that so that our clients can take action uh, across their across their media spend. So, uh, And then the last thing is we do a fair amount of qualitative research as well. Yeah. And so yeah. uh, there's a variety of mechanisms that we do that, but recently conducted a uh, share of spend, I think is what we call it, state of spend mm-hmm. uh, survey. Uh, which helped us better understand consumer sentiment, uh, brand marketer sentiment in today's you know retail economy, and and so we. And you can use your rich share. behavioral understanding of what they're buying to target. You it, you can't you don't have to rely on claimed person right. behavior. You can right. actually find people that did purchase yes. that data yeah. Yeah. and and get to the why behind the who, what, where, when with the Paul research. Yeah, which yeah. kind of works on both ends. I mean, I think. Facebook is amazing at what they do, but but everything is sort of indicated purchase intent for the most part, modeled in many cases or derived third party inferred. Yeah. Whereas ours is deterministic data based on actual purchase behavior, which is a heck of a lot more valuable, I think, as an input. But we can also attribute a purchase down to the item level afterwards. So we don't need to rely on MMM or other types of modeling techniques to infer what uh, the performance of a campaign might be. That's one of the challenges of linear TV, as you noted before, and some of the other kind of legacy mechanisms is they're really hard to attribute. And you've got to be very thoughtful as a marketer about every dollar you're spending. And so I think that's why you're seeing such a, a push into performance marketing. 
that make that makes sense. And uh, on the research X, I, I think the um, I think the non incentive purchase stuff is a really interesting avenue because that's one of the challenges for marketers in using this data is that the minute you incent somebody to behave, they're behaving differently than they would ordinarily. Right. But within the context of the incentivized behavior, um, what did your research tell you about sort of timing deal availability and shopper consideration? There's such it's such a big moment right now for promotions, right? Like I'll use a slide sometimes with clients that describe. Our entire world is the Rolling Stones song, Promotional Rescue. So, um, so promotions are coming to the rescue of the shopper and also to what some percentage th- of your audience will get that joke. Uh, it's, it's, I'm, I'm really, I'm playing solid to my millennial Gen they're, they're, X audience. They're in hospice. Yes. I, I'm, I'm looking at the, I'm looking at our live studio audience here and I can pretty much segment who laughed at that joke. My people my age are older. So, uh, so yeah, so that was cool. Um, so, uh, hey, new album coming out the radio, right? So, uh, anyway, um, but so, but from a promotions point of view, it's going to become a huge part of the world over the next six to 12 months as brands seek to get unit volume back, as retailers try to find growth, as everybody tries yeah. to map a growth forecast to the unrealistic numbers that they built it off of the last three years. Right. So, so yeah. you guys could be the savior for that, given what you know about how deals can get constructed and most effectively delivered. What did your research tell you about that? Yeah, I think, first of all, from a timing perspective, to the first part yeah. of your question, uh, the, the which zero moment, which, which I believe Google <laughs> coined probably 10-some years ago, yeah. um, really is coming to fruition in the grocery space. Mm-hmm. 60% of our consumers have indicated that they pre-plan their purchase before they go into the grocery store right. mm-hmm. using a digital device. Right. So on their phone, on uh, the retailer's website, they're planning out what, are the, what is it that they want to buy. So you want to get into the consideration set at that point. Within the promotion space, people aren't just going in and finding promotions once, once they get into the store. 75% of consumers are pre, pre-planning and pre-selecting the promotions they want to opt into, again, before they end up in the store. Yeah. On Ibotta, we historically have seen that consumers do that about four days before they go in and make a purchase. So, you know, between that and the fact that I think once in the basket, always in the basket, you've got this phenomenon historically within grocery where people tend to be pretty brand loyal it's convenient to kind of go after the same products you had before. 75% of the items that are in a consumer's basket have been purchased by that consumer before. I think that's more so in an online environment yeah. because we make it so easy for a, for a consumer to re-up their basket. Hey, the last time you were here, you purchased these items. I, you don't have to be yeah. walking down the aisle physically to remember right. to buy that. It's right. there right in front. Well, when I ask right. it, and this is such an important thing, too. There's so much conversation in the digital world about measuring incrementality today. Yes. And so much of that conversation is gravitating to new-to-brand shoppers, yes. which works great if you're selling shoes. But right. it's terrible for the CPG industry where most of your business is coming from people that have bought your product before. Right. So, there, I mean, how many people are really new to Coke? But, but it's also very challenging if you are leveraging, say, individual retailer customer data asset because they are a walled garden of them. And I know from right. my industry experience that even – the top 5% of most loyal consumers at a retailer, yeah. 43 cents on every dollar, They in CPG, they spend at another retailer. Right. So what if you look at an individual retailer, yeah. it may appear to be new to brand. I think what I hear from you is that you have an ability to apply that concept new to brand much more broadly across right. their entire shopping behavior. Yeah, we could stitch together a view of the consumer across all the places they're shopping. This is a challenge. So I used to, you know, work with retailers in the card link space uh, mm-hmm. using, you know, banking technology, uh, payments technology. Yeah. And the problem is that if you're one bank, if you're American Express, you only have visibility into what's happening. Yeah. They've got incredible breadth of data in terms of seeing all of your Amex yeah, purchases. But 
but you whip out that Visa card because you got an incentive on it. Right. You, sw- you swipe that card. Now, Visa thinks you're a new customer to a particular brand. They don't yeah. necessarily see uh, all of those purchases. But I think so, also for brands wanting to track behavior, absolutely. the limitation there yeah. is what the banks see is the value of the entire transaction, well, not the item level, level data. data. Yeah, yeah I've always said that banks have great breadth of data. Yes. They have terrible depth of data. Yeah. Sure. Companies and like Ibotta can fill well, the gaps in terms and, of and large And large state agencies that right. syndicate credit card data have, a, right. have exactly the same issue. Yeah. So. so obviously deals now that we have sufficient supply chain inventory and the, the shelves are filled, deals can be incredibly power, powerful at moving volume. Um, particularly in physical retail, where despite all the excitement we had during the the pandemic of the massive pen, uh, increase in household penetration of e-commerce, the vast majority of food and beverage sales in particular still take place in physical right. retail. So the challenge is, how do you make shoppers aware of those deals? As you said, they're, they're pre-planning, but then they're going into the store and execute. How How do you actually execute that to the point where you you are delivering a meaningful experience the consumers are seeing it that you can lead to measure it i mean first and foremost having the promotion at all is pretty critical because you intercept a consumer who's in the middle of a search flow they're looking for cereal and through a lot of our publisher platforms there'll be you know uh, an offer appended to an item listing. So when you're searching for cereal, those items that have offers stand out as right. part of that. So that's, yeah. that's the first step. But there's a lot you could do to also promote those uh, offers that are quite beneficial. Ultimately, if you can, uh, if you simply run you know, the promotion without any type of media or exposure associated with it, you're going to primarily attract those people who are in that purchase journey, in that mm-hmm. Much further down the funnel. Yes. Whereas I think if you can use media, if you can use ad products, you can combine it with retail media. Right. First of all, it supercharges that that media investment. You've yeah. heard from brands. So when that, you're layering different elements on top of each other, right. they have a compounding next, effect. Yeah. yeah. Basically, we've heard you know brands tell us that the return they're generating from media exposure is four times greater <laughs> when combined with the call to action of the promotion. Right. That makes sense. You pull people through, and ultimately, they're more likely to convert. So that's good. But you're also likely to expose that to new customers who weren't necessarily already in the purchase flow. So you're going to drive more incrementality with it. And then, as you noted, it's it's really critical for driving a lot of volume, which is top of mind for many CPG brands right now. Right. It's also, and it's also fair to say that, I, especially as we start to get into the media side of this, which we'll get to, I think, later, um, so many media buyers are used to buying audiences based on who people are, like their demographics, their psychographics, right. all that stuff. What you're saying, though, is that it's probably more valuable than the context of commerce and conversion to know what somebody's doing or right. where they are, when they are in the journey, yeah. not who they are. Yeah, so, they a high propensity shopper for my category. Yeah. They're likely to buy carbonated beverages. Are they not into carbonated beverages right. as an example? Yeah. So that's more difficult to correlate with a demographic or an indicated interest. The purchase data is ultimately superior. Yeah, and I think that that's going to enhance so much So much of marketing gets amplified into, to use your phrase, supercharged yeah. by understanding both the who and the what. And the challenge are. for using, despite all the flaws of, of demographics, the one I always focus on is that the demographic information is very often uh, incomplete or flawed. And you have it for a very small percentage of your consumers. The one thing you have through the data feeds you're getting from the retailer is the ability to create behavioral segments and profiles right. based upon their purchasing behavior. And it's not dependent upon claimed uh, right. 
participation or inclusion in a particular demographic group? It's not dependent on cookies. It's not dependent on... Uh, are we talking on, chocolate chip? Or right. Chocolate oh, chip oh. Are de- definitely okay. the best cookies. Are there cookies here? So, um, <laughs> cookies? Sorry, no, you just distracted yeah. me completely. So, yeah. um, <laughs> Squirrel. <Yeah>. Squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think that even demographic data is going to be more difficult to obtain and to track people across different types of devices yeah. in the future. All of our data and you know platforms that are doing it right, like Ibotta, are very upfront with the consumer as to the value exchange that they're getting in yeah. exchange for sharing that data. And so we're very compliant with you know evolving privacy. That tells me they're compliant with things like GDPR, CCPA. Ooh, look, and at all you, the look at you! Look at you! Look at you! I've thrown out the acronym. Look at you and your four letter. Look at you and your look at you and your four letter words. Um, so, uh, <laughs> if you live in Europe, by the way, GDPR is a four letter word. Um, so. Uh, so the fines on that are ridiculous. Um, so, and as we sort of get build on this conversation, right? So you taught, you mentioned serial offhand, but like, what are some of the categories that your research sort of showed as having really the biggest opportunities for growth in this sort of promotional rescue sort of environment? And you talked a little bit about this, but not much. Can you enhance some of the conversation around how, how to bundle together either, either promotions or a series of events? How does that help amplify and supercharge what uh, brands are trying yeah, to do? Yeah, good question. So uh, first of all, on the, on the first part, I mean, I think that uh, the entire grocery category, especially core grocery, center store, produce, yep. meat, those are the ones that have uh, had the greatest amount of challenge when it comes to being, uh, you know, losing share to private label. Right. We've seen in those categories an average of four times greater growth out of private label compared to uh, branded products. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a pretty big opportunity there. We see it a little bit less in categories like baby, pet. I think there's often a little bit more of an emotional connection between I people agree. and the brands people, there. Yeah. They, 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 yeah. they are brought into a brand at a particular point in, right. in that life stage's yeah. engagement, and they stick with that brand. That's right. So I think that uh, for for most grocery categories, however, most of what you find when you go into the grocery store, there's a pretty tremendous opportunity to uh, try to steal some of that share back. And critically important right now, as we've alluded to over the course of the past couple of years, many CPG brands that were that we're describing here mm-hmm. successfully took price. Uh, they were able to put up record comps as a result of of taking price, and now they're suffering from volume declines, if not negative volume year over year in certain cases as well. So it's pretty critical that they go after it. Mm -hmm. Combined with various, I think that, you know, you have to take a a big picture strategy. You can't simply run a one and done promotion and expect that to solve your long-term objectives. You Mm -hmm. need to combine it with media thoughtfully to get it in front of the right consumer. You need to vary the awards that you're providing according to the specific Mm -hmm. behavior you're trying to incentivize. Mm -hmm. You need to get out in front of consumers with it on a regular basis so you can stay top of mind, particularly right now, just because consumers are are very apt to switch to different brands. I think 75% of consumers have indicated that they'll go after a new brand within a particular category if, yes. if they get a more favorable price. And I think for those of us, the, the listeners around the world will note that we did some research on this when I was at Omnicom. We discovered that United States consumables shoppers are the switchiest consumers in the world. Yeah. For, we did surveys across a variety of countries in a variety of categories. The consumer is most likely to switch due to a price change or an out of stock by a pretty healthy distance are American shoppers for consumable products because American shoppers have always had an enormous amount of choice. I believe it. Um, and uh, an enormous variety of brands. And I think that's why the pandemic was so challenging because with manufacturers dealing with the yeah. out of stocks, to some degree, that condition alone 
forced a lot of consumers that were in a habitual pattern of buying a brand right. to yeah. still need to satisfy their household demands for consumption. I need to feed my family. They were forced to try other brands. And the problem is, is when you force them to try other brands, they may find that they like that brand for one of many reasons. Or that, the they're, or that they're perfectly happy with it. And that it's, yeah, and and it's, that it's, it's satisfying. That's what we're seeing in private yeah. label. A yeah. Great deal, right. Is yeah. that uh, maybe people had been reluctant to try a store brand. They yeah. thought it was inferior quality. Yeah. We saw, you know, a lot of consumers switch to private label and say, hey, it's pretty good. It's fine. Yep. Yeah, and it's in some categories, they're quite happy doing that. So when I'm a brand marketer, my goal is obviously expand my brand equity in terms of how much volume I'm driving. And clearly, you can target existing buyers through the data set you have, which is tremendous. But your ability to expand consumption among existing buyers really only gets you so far. You have to really start thinking about bringing new new consumers into your brand portfolio to to be able to truly get that exceptional growth rate. So or, or winning back consumers that you've yeah, lost. That yeah, exactly. Your brand, but yeah, lost so I guess my question is over the next twelve months, like why is driving trial through platforms a critically important issue and how are how is Ibotta thinking about helping brands achieve that objective of expanding out the brand and increasing the penetration of the brand among shoppers? It's something that our brands bring to us a lot. And we have a lot of mechanisms to inspire trial. In fact, that's you know often how we're thought of by brands is this is a great way to introduce sure. somebody to a new product. You alluded to this before, though, which is that a lot of incrementality could be inspired by talking to that existing or to that lapsed customer. And so historically, brand marketers have focused so much on acquiring new customers because it's easy to see incrementality in the face of a new person coming into your store. It's easy to talk to your boss about it. But ultimately, we've heard that thing that says, you know, it's five times more expensive to get a, a yeah. an incremental trip out of an exist or a new customer compared yeah. to an existing one. Mm -hmm. And as you said, a lot of times your best customer is also your competition's best customer. Mm -hmm. So if you can steal a little bit of share, take 10% of your yeah. share from, from yeah, the competitor amongst those existing customers, that could be a heck of a lot more valuable than even acquiring a few new customers. Yeah. Really, I think brands need to do both, I think, at this point. Yeah. Uh, I think that reacquiring customers back, those customers who are lost to private label and or to other brands, is, is critically important right now as well. So those brands that do that successfully are going to fight back against some of the headwinds we described before in terms of velocity losses. Well, the successor is predicated upon your ability to identify those different segments yeah. and then treat them differently. Right. How you talk to an existing customer is fundamentally different. You don't have to convince them to buy into the brand. You right. just need to get them to increase. So right. how you increase, think about yeah. advising brands on campaigns for one group versus another yeah. is predicated upon your ability to build those audiences through your rich data set. What we see so often, and I've seen this throughout the course of my career, not just in the CPG space, is that a lot of brand marketers have the inclination of let's ignore our best customers. These are people who spend a fortune with us already it's, on a relative basis. They it's look it's, at it's politics. The, ba the base is locked in. we got to totally. play to the middle of the we've market, got, but the base is going to vote for us. Yeah. These yeah. people don't spend with us. These people spend a lot. Let's just talk to these people. Mm. Meanwhile, these very valuable customers are spending a ton with the competition. Right. They're likely to attrite. That's very costly if yeah. they do so. And or there's just an opportunity to regain share from the competition. And so 
I think the, the smartest marketers are thinking about that on both ends of that. Well, and in the CPG space, we're all hovering around the, the book, How the, the how Brands Grow by Byron Sharp, which was deeply influential pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. And Sharp's work really focused on that light user, right? And that, you know, rewarding your heavy, his one of his big themes is that rewarding your heavy users doesn't pay out as well as just trying to win light users through broad-based marketing efforts. Yeah. There were some limitations to that work, and you just you just mm-hmm. unpacked it, which is that your heavy users, especially in a digital world, maybe no less, no more loyal to you than your light user. They're just buying out of habit. And you need to kind of lock them in as well. So, um, which is which is really interesting, and I think that as you look from an analytics point of view, because now you're processing four billion transactions a month, day, hour, whatever it was, uh, yeah, items, yeah, four billion items, four billion items a minute. Um, so you heard it here first, uh, but so but. Uh, Obviously, we're going to get to the, you know, we're going to we're going to we're going to say the magic word now because uh, we, oh, yeah. are, we, we, are, we are we playing we, trade show bingo? We lose we lose our license to podcast unless if we, we mention this. unless we mention AI at some point during the conversation, right? So now you all been using forms of AI really since, learning, really right? since the platform was built, right? Yeah. But. Today, how are you thinking about how AI helps you scale and optimize promotional activities? What are some of the what are some of the cool things that you're doing a in that campaign space? that is relevant to the audiences right. that you're able to create? In case you didn't know what that meant. Yeah. So as you said, <laughs> we've been good. using machine learning for a long time. It's gotten more sophisticated over time. I feel like we're just at the tip of the iceberg in terms of yeah. uh, what's possible. The technology is evolving so quickly. Uh, we're spending a lot of time and a lot of resources figuring out how we can better use it to serve all of our customers, whether that's the consumer or the client or uh, our individual stakeholders in the, in the organization. So as you said, there's a lot we could do to uh, create the, the most relevant experience for the consumer. Make sure that they're when they jump, join the Ibotta platform, that they're seeing your, the experience you're having is different than the experience I'm having in terms of the offers that we're offering to each of you, uh, each of us, or what you're seeing when you come into the app. Uh, we, can, we can create a much more personalized experience but there's a lot more we could do to provide uh, speedy insights to our brands through AI. So we're sitting on this mountain of data, as we've talked about. Can we use AI to derive specific insights and say, hey, we've observed the following behavioral shift within your space to a brand. Hit this button and we'll take action and run a campaign to address that particular thing, all within a matter of hours, potentially. Uh, so that's pretty cool to think about. There's a ton we could do from an operational perspective to help improve our operational flow, which not only helps Ibotta from a profitability perspective, sure. but it really helps our brands because they can. we could be much more nimble at yeah. standing up. So they can execute at scale they, and create very, very focused campaigns on a multitude of segments that's right. that you're trying to, trying to address. Yeah, and do so quickly. Yeah. A lot of times they, are, they, they may be reactionary. We certainly want to move to you know, help them become really proactive. But sometimes they're like, hey, we, we observed the following change. We need to run a campaign starting three hours well, from now. Well, I think like this is fascinating, that. too, that I think brands haven't really processed how much faster you can turn something right. into an action. Exactly in a digital AI powered world and how much, how much of a competitive advantage harnessing that speed can and should be. Right. right? So your ability to respond in close to real time to marketplace changes becomes incredibly important, particularly when you can do it through a third party, not through the retailer who tends not to move in real time. So, uh, so, uh, retailers move in retailer time. (laughs) So, uh, so, um, well, no, it's, I mean, and everybody knows yeah, that, right? I mean, right. retail some, you know, brick and mortar retail is an operational business. Yeah, it takes a while to go for a long time. So yeah. it's quite familiar. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I do think one of the yeah. things that's interesting sitting here looking at the airport uh, and having taken a couple of Ubers, 
Certainly, travel has played with dynamic pricing for a long time, yeah. obviously. Mm-hmm. And I think Uber and Lyft have done a nice job of it. Yeah. CPG brands haven't had the ability to play with dynamic pricing much. No. Maybe a little bit on platforms like Amazon. It's uh-huh. very difficult to do in a brick-and-mortar environment. We've got the physical shelf tag. Yeah. I think there's a lot that AI might be able to do to help create more dynamic pricing based on the specific KPIs that a brand might have. Both, you know, in, a, in an e-commerce environment, yeah. that certainly seems yeah. more solvable in the near well, term, and but you, even in a physical environment by using digital rewards products. Well, yeah, and basically in the dot-com world, you have that now. Like I was, we were doing a futures thing years ago, and I said, someday you're going to wake up, and when you look at CNBC, the price of Coke going across the bottom yeah. of the line isn't going to be the price of Coke stock. It's going to be the price of Coke. Right. Like right. you're going yeah. to have that level of variability in yeah. pricing, and you're going to – and they were, they were actually already do this in Indonesia, by the way. Like yeah. the, the, the the markets in Jakarta – are all they all have online pricing? They'll tell you every day what the price of oil is and the basic stuff, and they kind of they, they price like a commodities cool. market. Yeah. So the Ibotta team is here in Las Vegas at Grocery Shop, this monumental event in the omni-channel digital space, particularly around consumables. Um, what are you looking to actually learn from the brand marketers that are participating, and what in turn do you want to share with them? Most importantly, that you believe is going to help them better engage with consumers through through digital platforms. First of all, I think there's a lot we can learn here. More so, you know, even more so than potentially sharing back with our brand partners. Uh, there is this, as you said, this has become sort of the cornerstone event in the in the CPG and grocery industry over the course of the past. This is the fifth year, I think. It started in 2018. It's gotten bigger and bigger every year, uh, better and better. And I think it's the the place to be. So hopefully, uh, everybody who's listening. Come, comes next year. I wasn't paid for that, although I should get a free ticket. I, I think you should. You, as, as we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll recommend Sophie, that, so. are you listening? Yes. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm here to learn, you know, how brands are thinking about using AI themselves, what kinds of things there are. You know, that's certainly a hot topic. Um, how brands are thinking about responding to some of the behavioral shifts we've talked about, the, the loss of velocity to and, and volume to uh, private label counterparts. How are they thinking about responding to that? How are they thinking about the evolution of their first-party data in a world where, in some ways, they have more access to first-party data compared to a day where they weren't collecting, there weren't as many avenues for collection? And in other ways, there's greater headwinds because of evolving privacy like regulation. And so what kinds of things are, are brands thinking about? Um, you know, there's a lot that, that we can help brands with in terms of helping them uh, make really smart decisions through the first-party data, as we've talked about, help them enrich their first-party data assets so that they have a better understanding of who their consumer is and how to engage them within their own properties and off, and then to make, make smarter decisions based on behavioral shifts within that uh, first-party data. So those are things that we're focused on here. We've got a pretty robust team here this year, the biggest team we've sent, and mm-hmm. uh, we're excited about it. So it's been a great event so far. You've got a great team, and you've got throw pillows, which are high. That's right. So, That's right. So. Yeah, we travel with these everywhere. Well, Chris, thanks for joining us to today's conversation to help illustrate how Ibotta is thinking about the next step in omni-channel consumer engagement as in a post-pandemic world and kind of resetting where brands are thinking about how to engage these consumers and do so in a meaningful way with not a lot of guidance in the past. I think you've got some really rich data sets uh, and some capabilities that are going to give them the confidence they need to adjust and drive their marketing budgets to deliver that performance marketing discuss. So thank you so much for talking to us. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. This was great. I appreciate it. 
So that concludes our conversation with Chris Jensen from Ibotta during the Grocery Shop Conference. I think you'll agree it was a pretty fascinating look at how loyalty and consumer engagement uh, in driving brand growth in a post-pandemic world is starting to shape up. It looks like Ibotta's got some really powerful capabilities in that order. I want to thank you so much for listening to this episode. Brian and I were grateful to help uh, bring that to you through our conversation with Chris. And of course, we look forward to speaking with you on the next episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Come on. The content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.